Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Well, good morning, Audacity Church. Uh, We're going to start our new series today called Roots. And Roots is nine simple ways to dive into the deep things of God. So we're going to start off this morning by reading from Galatians chapter 5. Turn your apps or your Bibles there. We're going to start in verse 16. And this is kind of the foundation for the series over the next several weeks as we look at the fruit of the Spirit as Paul describes them for us in a letter to Galatians. Starting in verse 16, it says, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is where we're going to pick up for our portion of what we want to focus on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for just the celebration of, of being a year old and, and this faith family that's established here that, that wants to stay true to our mission of, of loving you first, of serving each other, and then going into the world and making disciples. And I pray that as we study these fruit of the Spirit that we would come away with a clear understanding of how to apply them to into our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul is addressing the church of Galatia here, and he's closing out his letter. And he's, he's basically talking about this inward battle that we've talked about before, right? That on this side of eternity, as long as we are still in our human bodies, we're going to have our, our mind, our body, and our soul, and we're going to be battling against this flesh man or flesh woman and how we do that in everyday life. And so it's important that we learn to walk in the Spirit. So how do we bear this fruit of the Spirit? One thing I think is important for you and I to recognize is that the word fruit is singular. Paul doesn't, he doesn't mix this up. This is intentional in showing us the fruit of the Spirit. I want to challenge you today as we start this series out to remember that Jesus said something very peculiar. He said, you will know them by their fruit. And so I think as followers of Jesus, we we should ask this question, how do I bear fruit? And it's right there in the bottom part of Galatians chapter 5, in verse 24, excuse me, it says, and those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how do we bear fruit? Before we even get into the fruit of one of the fruit of the Spirit we're going to talk about today, how do we bear fruit? Well, one, we have to belong to Jesus, and two, we have to crucify the flesh. Jesus' call for people to follow him was simple. He said, hey, you have to die to yourself. I mean, that isn't, that isn't something that's real appealing. It isn't like, hey, yeah, sign me up to die to myself every day. But that's the challenge from Jesus. You know, I love that there's, the scripture is filled with so many agricultural references, if you will. And there's a lot of times where the Bible is teaching us about bearing fruit or harvest time and seed time. So I think it's important that we at least take a look at this. In order for a tree to be born, what must happen? A seed has to be planted. But I think even more challenging, for me anyway, is that seed must be buried and die. For those of you that have been following Jesus, and I know we have all types here, right? Some of you are still working out, um, you know, just what Jesus means in your life, and you've really not given him everything. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time, and maybe you're even in this place where your relationship has become somewhat stale. But and, and maybe this is where you are. I think another uh, another interesting agricultural or plant reference is in order for a vine to bear fruit, sometimes pruning has to happen. So sometimes a branch in your life that's just, it's not healthy for you. And maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a habit or, or maybe it's a way that you think. And, and what Jesus has to come and do is this master arborist, if you will, is he comes and he prunes away these branches. Listen, dying as the seed so that you can be rebirthed into Christ, in, into, with Jesus through Christ, and then as a follower of Jesus down the road, pruning away branches to bear fruit. Both of those things are painful. I think in order for us to even move on, we have to first identify how do we bear fruit. We have to die to ourselves. We have to crucify our flesh and we have to belong to Jesus. And belonging to Jesus, he said this. He said, apart from me, we can do nothing. He didn't say you're going to be able to do some things without me. He said, without me, you can do nothing. And in that section of scripture, he's actually talking about being a part of him, being grafted in, into the vine. So what are the fruit of the Spirit? Now, professional Bible scholars, they have a name. They're called theologians, okay? A lot of theologians believe that these fruit of the Spirit are what we're going to call the communicable acts of God. This is the part of God that, that you can almost catch, or this is the parts of God that you can become like the more you spend time with Him. Let me give you an example. Man, I am a type A obsessive compulsive. I mean, when Ashley and I first got married, man, my, my, my closet right, was ordered and colored. But not only was it ordered and colored, but it was ordered and colored by t-shirts and then v-necks and then button-up short sleeves and then button-up. Some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. No, okay. There's, some, there's a few of the people that are wired like I am. I see you. Those are the people that we know know Jesus, right? There was an order. And something else that I, that I did when Ashley and I got married is I always talked about the future. And, and it was always, man, I was always living in tomorrow. And if there's two things that Ashley has helped me embrace over 15 years of, of marriage, one is in living in the moment, enjoying every day. She has to remind me of this often. She has to say, hey, Ronnie, do you think your kids are going to remember 
wrestling with you in the floor? Or do you think they're going to remember picking up the living room? Right? And so the longer I've been married to Ashley, the more I remember, okay, live in the moment. Wrestle with your kids. They Live in the moment. It's okay if your closet isn't color-coordinated. I don't know if that's true, but I try to believe that, right? And so it's this idea of these communicable acts of God. There are also, theologians say, incommunicable acts of God. These incommunicable acts of God are things like omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. Listen, no matter... um, When you die and you spend eternity with Jesus, you will never be all-knowing. The witness of Scripture is that you and I will still learn in heaven. I mean, you and I will never be all-present. Even in eternity, you're never going to be able to be everywhere at all times. There are certain things, being omniscience, omnipresence and omnipotence that you and I will never be. But like my relationship with Ashley, I want you to apply that to your relationship with Jesus and realize that as you spend time with Jesus, as you grow close to him, you can become more like him. As you become submissive to the Holy Spirit that is living on the inside of you. See, you don't do things for God to get something from him. You do things for God because you love him. I become more like Ashley in the good ways because I love her. I pray that I become more like Jesus and I bear fruit like Jesus because I love him. The secret to developing and walking in the fruit of the Spirit is a relationship with Jesus. Has everybody got that? Before we go on, there was a brief introduction. So I want you to bear with me as we we cover our first fruit today. And we're going out of order for those of you. uh, This probably helps me and my type A personality. We're going to mix up the order of these fruit over the next few weeks. And so the first one we're going to discuss today is joy. And the the Greek word for joy is a chara. Chara. Everybody say that with me. Chara. Right? You got to say it like you got some phlegm in your throat. Like, ah, you know, you say, say, chara. Now, this word for joy means gladness, or is it's the cause of the occasion of joy. It's one's personal joy. And this word shows up in many different forms in the Bible. It shows up as, glo- as gladness, as joyful, as joyous, as to be joyfully great, um, as to greatly rejoice. So we're going to look at joy today. My goal is to answer three questions. What is Christ-like joy is the first question we're going to answer. The second question is what is counterfeit joy? And then lastly, we're going to talk about how do we live in joy. So let's buckle down and let's learn today, all right? The first person I think we should look at in Scripture for joy is is let's look at Jesus and let's look at an example that he gives us in, in John chapter 16. Now this story starts in verse 16. You can look at it later. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Let me tell you what's going on. The disciples have heard Jesus say, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't go, but I'll be back. I mean, and the disciples were like, hey, is he running to Quick Trip? Is he going to the gas station? Is he going to the fish? What what does Jesus mean when he says he's going somewhere that, that we can't go? And we pick this story up in verse 20. And the Bible says, truly, truly, I say unto you. 
Now, I want to give you something. Years ago, uh, I asked my grandfather, who's now went on to be with Jesus. He was a, a, a great Bible teacher. He was a pastor for many years. But I asked him, I said, Grandpa, every time I see this word in, in the good old King James, the word was verily, verily. Okay, and apparently the King James is the Bible that Paul used. I didn't know that, but that's what a lot of people believe. Although the translations that people are using of the King James is, is really like translation number five. But I don't even want to chase that rabbit today. You guys know I'm a professional rabbit chaser. But this is what my grandfather told me. He said, son, anytime you see the words verily, verily in scripture, Jesus is about to tell us something that we would not know unless Jesus shared it with us. This is, all, this is God speaking into man's life every time you see that. So I think it would be a unique study. You can go home and do it every time you see, if you're reading out of the King James, verily, verily. But in the ESV, which is what most of us use around here, the words are truly, truly. Pick it up in verse 20. I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human boy being has been born into the world. So I say to you, so also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples that he's about to leave. Now I want you to understand where Jesus is. Jesus knows that his hour is close. He knows that he's about to be crucified. Now, as a young Jewish boy being raised under the rule of, of an oppressive government, a very taxing government known as Rome, Jesus would have saw this form of capital punishment. Jesus would have potentially maybe walked by as people were being crucified on Across. I believe it was Dr. Chuck Misler who said that the Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it by getting as much pain and as much agony out of the body while still keeping it alive. So see, Jesus is in a moment where he has every reason to be sorrowful, every reason to have no joy. But what I want you to notice is see how Jesus handles sorrow. He allows his sorrow to turn to joy. Jesus is trying to model an example to his disciples of allowing joy to turn into rejoicing, to allow joy to be impacted no matter the circumstances. You see, the joys that, that Jesus walked in was so strong that no sorrow in the world could overcome it. Am I, am I kind of painting a picture for you today of what Christ-like joy is? Let me put it another way. Sorrow is temporary, but joy is eternal. No matter what circumstance you're going through, if it's a sorrowful, if it's a challenge, if it's a loss, if it's um, it just something that is that you don't think you can get out of or you don't believe you're going to get through. You have to be confident in this situation and that has to do with where your hope is placed and it becomes joy. Christ-like joy is the confidence of knowing that Jesus is with you and the Holy Spirit is working, living through you. That, my friends, is how you have Christ-like joy. I love this scripture in Zephaniah chapter 3. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, 
a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm always with you. This prophet in Zephaniah is saying, hey, Jesus is always with you. No matter the circumstances, he is over you. No matter the circumstances, he is in your midst. And it's the hope that you have in Jesus that allows you to walk in joy. I want to hop back up to John in verse six, uh, in John 16, verse 21. Jesus is using an example of childbirth. He says, when a young woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy and human being that has been born into the world. You know, this has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. Now, I only know this experience secondhand, right? Uh, but Ashley and I, right, we have eight children. I, I have been present at eight births. I mean, I would say I'd probably make a really good midwife, right? I mean, I'm a great birthing coach. I try to be. I want to be there for Ashley. And in these moments that we've experienced this, I love that Jesus paints this picture. Because as Ashley and I are going through this birthing process, and I'm trying to be the good coach and giving her ice chips and helping her breathe and, and walking her through her contractions, and, and I'm trying to be everything that she needs me to be in that moment, there's this moment, and, and I, wish I, I wish I could capture it on like a photograph. I, it's ingrained in my memory because it's happened every time. There's this moment when all the pain and all the discomfort and all the trials and everything that we are going through in that moment. And I look at Ashley as she sees the baby for the first time. And it's in that moment that the pain and the sorrow are overcome by great joy. See, Christian joy says this. No matter the circumstance, I can choose joy. So that, my friends, is a very brief picture of what Christ-like joy is. So what is counterfeit joy? I think this is really important. Dr. Tim Keller says this, Counterfeit joy is the feeling that comes when we rest in our blessings and not the blesser. So what does this look like? Counterfeit joy is your win. Okay? Not W-I-N. Counterfeit joy is your W-H-E-N. Counterfeit joy is your win. What does counterfeit joy look like in your life? You say this, I'll be a happier person when. That's counterfeit joy. I'll trust Jesus when, with my finances when I get my next promotion. When I get my next raise. When I, and counterfeit joy is your win. My marriage will be better when. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not joy. That is idolatry. And when that win happens, right, momentarily, we get that next promotion. And we say, well, God, you know what? Now I can kind of get out of debt. So my next raise, I'm going to start giving to you. That, that's, that's win. Or you find yourself, you know, uh, God, you know, man, I, I know my husband, he's, he's starting to treat me better and we're, we're really starting to work through our marriage. But when he does this for me, then I'll be happy. What is your win? I want that to sink in for a moment. What is your W-H-E-N? What is your win? Jesus, I'll have joy when. 
See, all gods outside of Jesus are false gods, and it is only the one and true God, Jesus himself. He is the only giver of true joy. So counterfeit joy is anything in your life where you are focusing on the blessing instead of the blesser. It is when you take your eyes off of Jesus in your circumstance and you look at the circumstance around you and you lose what you think is joy and that is not joy. I want you to write it down today. What is your win? And I've made this win an idol. I've made this win something in my life that I've allowed to take my joy. Because what that win is, I'll do this win, is a producer of counterfeit joy. And it's a fleeting feeling that does not last because you're not focusing on the blesser. You're focusing on the blessing You see, most people would say, well, you know, the opposite of joy is sorrow. That's not the witness of Scripture. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible would teach us today that the opposite of joy is hopelessness. If you are a believer in Christ because you have placed your life in His hands, you have placed your hope in His hands, and you know that one day you will rule and reign in eternity with Him as a son and a daughter of the Most High King. When you understand that, you have all the hope in the world, no matter your circumstance. That's why First Peter, he was able to say this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says you can rejoice in any circumstance. You can rejoice and be joyful every time your faith is tested. Why? Because of what's going to come out on the other side. The author of Romans, many people believe it was Paul. It happened to be in that camp. Chapter 5, he says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Know that suffering produces endurance. And there ain't anybody in this room that's like, Hey, I can't wait for my next suffering. I can't wait to work on my endurance through my next trial. But that's what Paul is teaching us. He says that endurance produces character and that character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Christians can have joy while they are suffering. We have joy because of our hope. We have joy because our hope has been placed in Christ. Your joy is not placed in your circumstance. I want you to also notice that Paul Paul teaches in Romans, joy comes through the Holy Spirit. There is an assurance of your relationship with Christ because you know Him, because you have given your life over to Him. You are not saved By good deeds, you are saved by grace. And because of that, you and I should walk in joy. Joy is not dependent on your current trial, your current obstacle, your current fear. Your hope is not in your win. Your hope is in a person. So I have to confess this to you. 
You know, in really reflecting over this series that we've been planning for months, I, I've realized that there's been certain times in, in even this young church plant's life, right? We turned a year old today, where I have had, I have had wins. And Jesus, I, I know that you're in this wind. And it's affected my joy. It's affected my attitude. I, I, I'm, I've been in the seat you're sitting in. And I know that how some of you feel. So how do you live in joy? I really think that's the question all of us want answered today. And I will tell you this. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12. Look to Jesus. How do you live in joy? Look to Jesus. I'm going to read the rest of the verse. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you are going through a period where you have no joy, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who saw the cross but was walking in joy. Look to Jesus that was, uh, that was able to get past his imminent suffering and was able to walk in joy. His joy overwhelmed his suffering. See, when you are far from God, you'll also fabricate this false joy. It's, it's like, I don't really care. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It's just life. I just deal with it. And the, the, your heart is being hardened. That's not joy. That's not contentment. That's actually, it's sin. That's going against what God tells us to do. He tells us to walk in joy. The mark of real joy is that it is not dependent or subject to circumstances. That's how you live in joy. Looking to Jesus, allowing Him to be your hope. C.S. Lewis said this, and let's look at it together. I'll be on the screen behind me. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis is basically telling you and I today, when. <laughs> See, you're allowing these momentary pleasures that are fleeting and you look at them as joy. You look at drink and sex and ambition and you and I are sitting around eating mud pies, not living a life in the fruit of the Spirit when Jesus is saying, hey, I am your hope. I am the resurrection of life. How do we have joy? See, joy only comes two ways. It only comes in obedience to Christ and prayer to Christ. The only way you're going to walk in joy is by being obedient to Him. The only way you're going to walk in joy is being in constant communion with Him. You see, early Christians, and, and matter of fact, Christians on most of the continents of the world now, can be joyful in their circumstances because their hope is placed in the right thing. You know, it, it, this is the reason that as 
first century Christians were being dragged into being fed by lions, they were able to sing hymns and rejoice, although they were being fed to lions. See, because of joy and because of Jesus' hope in you and what he was going to do through your life committed to him, because he knew he was making a ransom for you and I, he was able to look past the pain and the suffering of his circumstance and he was able to walk in joy. See, joy is found in Christ and his furious longing to be with us and to live through us. So what is joy? What is Christ-like joy? Christ-like joy is no matter the circumstance, you can be joyful. What joy is not? Joy is not, I can walk in joy when. Joy is not, once my circumstance changes, when. How do you live in joy? In obedience to Christ and communion with Him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.